Welcome to the MedCore Podcast Network. My name is Melanie Hamilton Bassich. I'm the Chief Editor of Rehab Management and Physical Therapy Products. For today's episode, I'm happy to be here with two people who have a wealth of knowledge to share about rehab providers, physical therapists, occupational therapists, and rehab professionals being a valuable partner to employers as a part of occupational health services. Virginia Ginny Marshall-Halling, who is a PT and the CEO of DSI Work Solutions in Bowling Green, Kentucky, and Glenda Key, founder and CEO of Key Functional Assessments Network in Carlsbad, California. PTs, OTs, and all rehab professionals can make a difference for employers and their practices at the same time. The former can save unnecessary medical costs, and the latter can create new partnerships and a new revenue stream. Let's explore this topic further. First off, why provide occupational health services? How does a practice benefit? Would you like to start, Ginny? Sure. And thank you for inviting me to this event. So, you know, maybe my knee-jerk question or answer to that question is, is because we should, because injuries that relate to the neuromusculoskeletal system are the most costly to employers, and we, we simply have the skills to help mitigate those types of injuries and indeed to prevent them. I'll go back to what Melanie started with, with the um, added revenue streams. This is a, a very exciting field to get into that has not been tapped fully at all by the medical field as, as much as we should and as much as needed. And not only as therapists, we are depending currently depending so much on reimbursement from insurers and physician referrals. And this helps you add to your business and your employee enrichment, your staff enrichment, and your community visibility in a very powerful way by doing the employer partnering, basically. Because when you're, when you're doing an employer partnering, which is what occupational health and industrial therapy is pretty much about, then we're like treating a whole company. So we've got, you know, 100 or 200 employees that are, that get to know us. And, and so it has a very strong community outreach that um, has a, a very, very powerful revenue stream down the road impact for your business. And again, for your your employee enrichment. So I agree with Glenda wholeheartedly, and I think many, especially outpatient practices, identify strongly with sports medicine. And some of the benefits of those sports medicine programs is getting to know the community. And if you have a visibility with employers inside their house, so to speak then you are going to have that same impact. You are going to get to know those employees from the ones in the offices to the ones, you know, doing the, the, the work, if you will. And they talk. They talk amongst themselves. They talk to their families. They talk to their friends. And so that's very important. What are the services that can be offered? I think, well, first of all, there's such an enormous option out there. You can either, you know, dip your toes in the water or you can do a deep dive. So you can start with just one service and only do that for a long time. Or you can, you know, start a huge program. And I like to sort 
kind of the the services into four different pods or four buckets. And the one, um, like the first one that we're very familiar with is hard data, which would be the assessment results, FCEs, prior to hire assessments. You're getting capability levels of either applicants or return to work from injury or return to work from long COVID and your, or current workers. So there's uh, like a hard data category. Another category that I like to include is the education category. And that again can fit into different cat into different groupings itself. So you'd have um, injury specific. You can be working in education that relates to either rotator cuff or carpal tunnel syndrome. And then you can do another section for body part um, education. So that would be if you want to educate in regards to cervical issues or low back or hip or knee. And then another category that we kind of forget about because we're so used to dealing with injuries is the medical component because employers are as interested in decreasing the medical complexities within their, for their employees as their injury ones. So they can decrease, and you as an industrial therapist can definitely impact the healthcare costs, not just the workers' comp costs, but the healthcare costs. So you can do education programs, you know, women's health or diabetes or balance, you know, a lot of things that we as therapists are very comfortable working with and our knowledge is strong in that. So that's two. Now the third one I categorize into programs and the programs would be more like the uh, work hardening, work conditioning and work conditioning is getting to be quite popular um, in a lot of practices now. And then also job analysis on-site treatment, ergonomic analysis, those kinds of things fit into more, for me anyway, that program categorizing. And then consulting. And all of these are, you know, are you get paid for it and you get paid right away for them. So, but in the consulting part then, I like to include um, consulting in with HR or workers comp or safety committees. And then one of my favorites are the walk-arounds. So you organize just to do walk-arounds on plant sites and you speak with the employees, you see them rubbing their shoulder or, you know, their wrists. So they've made some modification to the tools or you see the postures and you just start integrating yourself in. And you can really... With these services, again, I think you can start with one or two and then you just, you know, like gently immerse yourself within there and they, you become a partner um, of theirs. So that's, that's kind of how I categorize the services. There's specific services, so many within each of those, but um, that's kind of an easy way for me to think about it. Glenda is so right. You know, the scope is wide. And a lot of times as providers are thinking about, well, you know, how do we get started with our practice? You really do have to look at your own setup. Are you in an outpatient clinic? Are you part of a 
hospital-based program? Are you an independent consultant? Who are you? And then you have to find a venue where you can meet the employers, those representatives that can begin to tell you about what their concerns are. And so that's where we figure out where to plug in the many pieces that Glenda was talking about. Um, and, and we'll go further a little bit down the road about those pieces. So don't feel overwhelmed by that right now. But I think when we look at what employers are asking for, you know, the verbiage that you're going to hear from the employer, one of them is we've got to stop the injuries. We've got to stop having OSHA recordables. You'll hear that term. And we can have a, a whole seminar, a whole day on, on that term and how to address it. But True. that's what you're going to hear. How do we stop people from getting injured? That's, that's one of the very common ones. Another one is, you know, how do we manage these out-of-control workers' compensation cases? Even though we know, like Linda said, that we, we can help across the spectrum. It doesn't need to be isolated into work-related injuries and non-work-related injuries to make a difference, and it, and it shouldn't. But many companies do focus initially on controlling workers' comp costs. That's a common one um, that you'll run into. So what services can we provide to them that will help, help them manage those cases and drive those costs down and either get those folks back to work or get them on to another job or on to disability, whatever is the appropriate response to that. You know, a third thing is, is that they really want to um, understand if you can show them that you're getting results. And that's the data piece that, that um, Glenda was pointing to earlier is, okay, you say you can help us, you know, stop preventable injuries and you say you can help us drive down the cost of cases that we're having difficulty with, but, but how you do that, that's in, in the ability to demonstrate outcomes. So those are three common questions, I think, that when you dialogue with employers that you'll find them addressing in some form or another. I think it's important that therapists understand and know that the employers actually do want, they want you know, safety and health and all of that for their employees. It's not, you know, we are so used to, or we are oftentimes uh, subjected to, it seems like such, you know, control in the medical community. If somebody always trying to cut back on whatever you're offering, or they want to monitor and manage everything that you're doing from, from even, you know, you've got such expertise, but they're not going to let you use that. But employers, on the other hand, you know, they are they come with this kind of this open feeling of, you know, what I really want is to keep my workers safe and healthy and, of course, to save money. You know, I mean, those two things, but you can do those two things. And back to what Ginny said, though, was you need to find out where their needs are. But I, I have a, a favorite thing that I go back to on that is... You need to ask them where their points of pain are, where are their biggest problems, and only try to work on those, their larger problems, if you know that you can service those. You know, don't try to solve all of their issues. And, and the, one of the things I really like to 
um, I might be paraphrasing it, but Henry Ford has been known to say that if I'd have asked people what they wanted, they'd have said faster horses. And, and so Mm -hmm. employers, you know, that's not the question you should be asking. And as Ginny brought out too, you find out what's hurting, where, where, what anguishes them, what costs them, what frustrates them. And, and that's how you decide the services that you want to, you know, want to go, to go with. And there are a lot of resources as to how to educate yourself on what does OSHA recordables mean? What does mod, what do mod rates mean? We can all help you with that. But, you know, a, a, a big thing is to, um, uh, recognize that when you're reaching out to an employer, they are coming from the same need that we have. You know, we want to help save the money. Oh, the other part was the outcomes. It is very easy in workers' comp to get outcomes because any organization, 100 employees especially or more, is tracking all of those things. And so you've got last year's, you've got the year before of history. So you can, when you implement a program, you'll be able to track those outcomes nicely, especially if they're self-insured. I don't think we've covered how these services actually are delivered and and who should deliver them. Would you like to speak on that, Jenny? Again, wide blue ocean of opportunity of where and how um, services are provided. And it ranges from, you know, in terms of the services, it ranges from doing analysis to gain an understanding of what it is the workers do and to look for early opportunities to reduce exposure to risks. It ranges through providing testing services for hiring and perhaps transferring between jobs. And those those tests can also be used for return to work purposes. It ranges through education, like Glenda was saying, you know, which can cross the spectrum, but can even include bringing employees in, onboarding them, you know, training them, being a part of teaching them how to work safely from a you know, especially for, from our perspective, from a, you know, a body mechanics, uh, safe movement perspective. It can range through early intervention. Glenda called it the walk around. Oh, my goodness. There's such low-hanging fruit if therapists or other rehab professionals are willing to do part of their services on site, even if all you're doing is prevention mm-hmm education on on the floor, if you will, in, in factories and so forth. There's early intervention. Some, something happens. Someone gets hurt or they're afraid they've been hurt. Now we can actually be the, the initial evaluator, if you will, or to get into proper language, you know, where we do a consultation um, to find out, well, where is this person? You know, are they injured to the point where they need to go to a physician? Is this someone I can counsel and guide them through, you know, what might be just a minor sprain or strain? Um, Then move up a notch, and now we're into managing an injury. 
you know, what can we bring to the table if we're working with that employer? Well, if we're working with that employer and we have good understanding of the work, and better yet, if we have a test of the work, there's a plethora of information we can bring to the physician, to, to the employee, to the supervisor, relative to where are we with work activity. And, and even back to treat those providing treatment to guide decision-making, whether it's a physician making decisions on how to release someone to work or what to do next, or back to a, you know, a caregiver, a therapist, for example, that needs to set work-related goals. And then on up the food chain, sometimes terrible things happen and someone is severely injured and the way that they can work may be altered. And then we have the need to consider, does this individual have a disability that the work needs to be modified for? And we have that whole range. So where in that range do you fit? You could fit if you're in a clinic. You could fit if, you're, if you are in an occupational medicine setting. You could fit from a hospital setting. You could fit if you decide you want to be that on-site person. We need it all, every piece of that in order to be successful. You don't have to do it all, like Linda said. Your specialty may be in one area or another. I think to add to that too is, um, Ginny was speaking in terms of organizationally, where you're coming from and what you can offer, but also within that then, each each field or each, um, PT or OT or athletic trainer or nurse or physician or whatever, you know, exercise physiologist, all of those, any single one of these individuals can be the resource or be the catalyst and then, and do what's within their either practice acts or their education level or, you know, that, that realm, but then also any of them has, has opportunity then to bring in others. You know, we know I um, have a good friend who's an athletic trainer and when he works, you know, he's works with, I think like 49 companies and at different times he will bring in PTs or he will bring in physician, his physician, or he will bring in his nurse or the nurse practitioner or the dietitian or the exercise physiologist or the athletic trainers. And they might, it, there are some of the activities where maybe any of them can do it, but then it's your choice. Yeah. You might be guided more by the cost, um, the availability, all of the urgency all of those kinds of things. So it is a, it's a per case per situation. And I, that's what's exciting for us. I think for both Jenny and I is that it can, you can open up the door to so many people to be a team yeah. in this field. Right. And that leads us into our next question. I think for someone who thinks maybe they're um, interested in doing this, how would they become proficient in these services? Well, that, again, every answer that we give has a wide scope. So I think that if you are early in your investigation and your interest phase, a couple of things. 
there are some great groups on LinkedIn where you can go and look at the conversations that are taking place in work injury management. One is hashtag work injury management, and there are others. Um, looking at groups and what are they talking about and what are the issues that are out there? So that might be a place to strike up some conversations um, and ask some questions and find some experts, if you will, or people with experience that can, can guide you a bit. Um, then there's groups like Glenda and I, you know, we lead up organizations that have long histories of working in these fields and we provide education and there are others. So there are, you know, probably, I don't know, Glenda, how many now that are, are similar to us, if not, a, you know, 10 and climbing of, of different educators. And so that means you have to do a little due diligence. You have to look and see what is a good fit for you and what makes sense. But, um, you know, we've been in the field a long time, many of us, and, and many of us have been the only real resource for the rehabilitation professionals. Um, and we've, we've developed systematic approaches that cross the spectrum that Glenda and I are talking about today. So, um, and a new source is, coming and is actually just launched through the American Physical Therapy Association. There's been some involvement with the um, American Occupational Therapy Association as well in developing finally a recognition for the need for the specialist in this type of work. And the very first module did launch um, in late January, I believe it was. So you can go to the APTA's um, orthopedic section, um, uh, look under the occupational health uh, special interest group and find some information on that. That's going to be coming and unfolding over time. So um, right now, you know, those are areas I would start. If you converse with people like Glenda and I, we're going to, we're going to share with you and give you lots of information to take away and to digest and to think about. I would add to that to become a member of the occupational health special interest group. It is a part, as um, Jenny said, it's a part of the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy, which is a part of APTA. But it is, you know, it is the members within it are um, generally active in this field or wanting to learn in this field. There's a publication that comes out regularly that they, you know, they write and are willing and you can get on the newsletter list and they even have a mentorship program for those who want to like hook up with your partner kind of with the knowledge part of this field. But I, I think all of those are yeah, really good, but you had, like anything, if you want to learn about it, you have to read, you have to ask questions and take classes. Yeah. Immerse and of course, physical therapy products and rehab management also cover these topics as well. Yes, you do. You are welcome to go to our websites to read about them there. <laughs> for a therapist or any rehab professional who is interested in industrial therapy, do you have advice for how they can get started? I'll take that one to start with. One of the, I think, one of the first things 
that they need to do is to find a champion within their own organization. If it's not an individual that's wanting to pursue it on their own, but if you have a business or a clinic, you know, and you're even like really curious about it, I suggest you find a champion and somebody that has a passion for growing something or has experience at, at they are not experienced in this field, but experience at like taking a hold of things and taking them forward. You need someone like a ball carrier that, that can move forward with it, be willing to do the research, be willing to, you know, report it. And, and with that, I believe one of the first steps they should do is they should analyze the local or the industries and employers that are within their service area. So that could be a 60 mile or 60 minute radius of their facilities. Um, then within that, there's a lot of resources. The web just offers so many resources. And one of the strongest ones that I think offers statistics is the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You go on, on that website and you can get so much information per city or county or state or by industry, number of employees, average, average injury per year of percentages. So that when you do reach out, you know, you're already somewhat educated. You're not, you're not just going in so totally blind. And, and another extremely important part, I think, then, is to take, and the first step, I, which may sound a little odd, let's find out how much revenue you can, you know, gain from this. So I really, I like to help people and encourage people to produce a revenue projection spreadsheet based on this information. And when they're doing that, it gives a little more incentive and a realistic one, if you're actually taking actual names of the employers or names of the physicians that you're going to get referrals from, that it isn't, oh, you know, we've got 50 employers around here. I'm sure I can get 10 to do this. You know, you actually have to write them down, identify some details about that. And then that can become not just like a part of a business plan, part of a marketing plan, part of a goal setting process and then as that your your champion you know if you can have your champion do those things then your champion gets very invested in it and sees how wonderful this can actually be and then and then you can move forward with more of a realistic approach um long-term short-term goals can be more realistic and and it's just a, I think it's a, a healthy way to start. And Jenny, did you want to add to that? Did you have any other suggestions or advice for how to get started in this? Oh, that's a, it's a great, I mean, all of what Glenda said is absolutely vital. If you're going to launch this as a business or as part of, of your, you know, practice that you're working with or practice that you own, I'm going to bring it down to just kind of a, you know, back to very beginning point. And that is all of us who, who work with, with people in therapy, in, in training, or what have you, have people that have been impacted to the point that they are not working normally or they're not working, period. 
So talk to those patients. Ask them about what, what do you need to go back to work? I really think that professionally, so many of us are so used to not having that information, to not knowing mm-hmm. what, what is the return to work goal, that we just don't even think about it. And, and it's true for physicians, too, is that you just don't expect to get it. And this is a very important paradigm shift for all of us. And the employer has to lead out on this, actually. And that's where we're reaching our hand out to the employer. So imagine a patient that you have that is on restricted duty or is off of work. Ask them, what do you need to go back to work? Perhaps there's a way you could see their job. And I'm not talking you have to go get training to do this part. You know, I like to say to those who, who treat patients, especially musculoskeletal issues, you go look at their job, you're going you're gonna to see a lot. <laughs> you're going to figure out a lot of what you might need to do to help that person. That's how I got started years ago. It wasn't because I fell in love with this because of a podcast. It's because a, a, a patient of mine took me by the hand and said, you're the only one who can get me back to work. And he, dra- he drugged me. That's the way I like to think of it. But he opened my eyes to, boy, if I had only known what he needed to do in order to return to work, we would have been along the track a whole lot earlier than we were. Mm-hmm. And he's my touchstone because for 20 years, and we did get him back to work, by the way, we did get him back. And for 20 years, I saw him working around town. He was a lineman for the city. And he retired of his own volition at the end of that 20 year period. We stayed, we stayed in touch throughout that period. And there is nothing more rewarding. Let me just end with that, is that if you think that this is something you wanna consider, I want you to remember what the reason for considering it is. It's all about taking care of your patients. And at the same time, you can take care of employers and at the same time, you're taking care of the communities that you live in and that you serve. So thank you, Melanie, for the opportunity. Did you have anything to add to that, Glenda? I, th- I think that was just beautiful. <laughs> and I guess the part then that I pull that down to is start with where you're at. Just start with where you're at. Every patient that comes into your clinic has a history of either what they do in their personal life, what they do in their work life or what they do in their social life. And as clinicians, I I think that should become a part of all of your intake. What is it you do in your pleasure life? What is it you do in all those areas? And then we start treating them for them, not just for the range motion or the strength grades or all of that. And if you start treating them for them, for them, then you will have to learn about the kind of work they do or, you know, do they, do they play cards or do they knit or do they bowl or do they play soccer or, you know, what do they do? And then treat them for that. And, and that will, that will take you to the next step. It also helps then internally for, um, so if everybody is doing that as, all of your clients are coming in, then 
you can, you can form specializations and I mean, it just, it adds to the dimension of what we can treat and who we can treat. And, and as Ginny was saying, you can actually get into the employer world that way. So you have, you know, you show up on the site a few times and then, you know, they get to know you and, and now you're treating the company. You're treating the 200 people, not the one individual. So it, you know, you give it out and it all, it all, you reach out and it all comes, it does come back beautifully. And, and you can see it, and Ginny loves this. And I, there is nothing quite as rewarding as being able to impact your community with, you know, such phenomenal, phenomenal changes in, in their safety and their health. So, Well, thank you both. That's all the time we have for today. Uh, again, thank you to Jenny Marshall-Helling and Glenda Key for sharing your expertise and insights. And I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. Look for more episodes in the future on the MedCore Podcast Network and visit us online at rehabpub.com and ptproductsonline.com.